If you would, turn with me this morning to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. And Ruth is a fascinating book. Uh, It's a beautiful book. A short story of sorts. It also is tucked away in between two larger books. uh, One being Judges and the other being 1st and 2nd Samuel. It's also one of two books in the Bible that have a woman's name to it. She is the premier character in the book, the other being Esther. Look here in Ruth with me, and I'll remind you that last week we focused really on the first verse, which was that in the days of Ruth, there were judges ruling. This is the context of the book of Ruth. Now, let's pick up with verse 2 of chapter 1 and we'll read through the chapter. The name of the man was Elimelech, which means my God is king. The name of his wife was Naomi, which means pleasant, which as I said to you last week, the book is quite pleasant. And the names of his two sons were Molan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. Remember, there was a famine in the land. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and the dead. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should say, I have a husband tonight even and should also bear sons, would you wait around for them till they were grown? No. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, 
Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, "Is this?" Or the women said, "Is this Naomi?" Pleasant. But she said to them, "Do not call me Naomi; call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty." Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let us pray. Lord, we praise You for the Bible which is Your Word to us. May it be that Word that we need this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The times were very dark. This was not a very pleasant time to live in in Israel. The judges were ruling, but lots of bad things were happening. The whole shebang was collapsing around them, and yet there remained a remnant a small group of people that were ordinary people. They weren't kings. They weren't prophets. They weren't doing miracles. And yet, as I said last week, those ordinary people became extraordinary because the times were so dark that when they let their little light shine, it really shined and lit up the room. But now let's talk about something that is also dark here found in Ruth. You ever notice that every good story has a dark side? You know, Neo is the good guy, the agents are the bad guys. You have in Lord of the Rings the dark shadow that is cast upon Middle Earth, on Saruman and Sauron. You have even the dark side in Star Wars. Every good story has a bad side to it. And a hero. Here, there are several bad things that begin to happen here. (laughs) Uh, The first being there's a famine. There's a famine in Israel. Now this is God's people, right? He called them to the land. This was supposed to be a land that was flowing with what? Milk and honey? Cookies and milk? Steak and potatoes? Whatever it is you like. This was a land of plenty. A very fertile land. And yet, and and of all places, by the way, they live in Bethlehem, don't they? (laughs) That's going to become very significant here in Advent, isn't it? Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And yet, we're told they have no bread in Israel. There's a great famine in the land, and it's not apparently a famine at Moab. Isn't that interesting? Here's the people of God, the land of God, the promised land, and yet 
about 50 miles to the, to the uh, east, you have Moab. And that's where they go. They exit the promised land for a pagan foreign land. And the first thing you have to ask yourself kind of when, when you're reading the story is, was, was that God's will? I mean, what was going on here? There's a famine in the land, yes, but, but should they have left? <laughs> and we're just not told. We're just not told. Ruth is, is terse. In other words, it's, it's abrupt. It's short. He's not, it's not a commentary. It's a story. Without commentary, I'm going to supplement the commentary. We can take an educated guess that probably they, they shouldn't have left. <laughs> but why was there a famine to begin with? It's interesting that there's really a famine of the Word of God, isn't it? That's the first famine that hits Israel is during the Judges period. They don't have a word from God. There's no king in Israel. They're not making God their king at least. Remember the constant refrain in, in, in Judges? There was no king in Israel, therefore everybody did whatever they wanted to. And, their cause, and it causes suffering. And God apparently sends a famine. He takes the bread out of the house of bread. And so they move to a foreign land. They exit stage right to a foreign land. I mean, that's like leaving food land for Ethiopia. House of bread. Now they're going to a foreign land, a pagan land, and this is where they exit to. I can't help but think too that once they left Egypt, which always represents sin in the Bible, they wandered in the wilderness, right? In a desolate land. You see, famine, wilderness, these are all places of testing. These are all places where, where something good can come afterward, but during the time, it's great suffering. Think about Abraham. He was pushed out of his land to go look for food. There was a famine in the land. Think about Joseph. Remember Joseph? There's a great famine in the land. And they have to leave. Joseph foresees this dream. You remember the story. You also have Jesus who is in a famine of sorts for 40 days in the wilderness. So too, the people of God are not being the people of God. That's the point here. And there's a famine in God's land. <laughs> you say, well, can God not provide? Well, of course He can, but there's a famine in the land because these are not being the people of God. And so Elimelech, who's the man of the house, he decides to leave to go to a place of plenty. Well, they get bread, but he ends up dying. That's where the book begins. My God is King, Elimelech, dies. So again, you kind of see this thing again. There was no king in Israel. <laughs> and that's a problem. And God definitely was not king in Israel. Do you remember who the Moabites were? The Moabites were actually kin to the Israelites. Remember Lot and Abram, Abraham? That was his nephew, Lot was. Well, after Sodom and Gomorrah, they retreat to the hills. He and his two daughters, his wife 
being turned into a pillar of salt because she looks back longingly toward Sodom and Gomorrah that's being destroyed by God. And they get up there in the caves and they think everybody's dead. And so her two, his two daughters tell, it, tell each other, hey, the oldest one says, look, we, we, this is it. If we're going to populate the earth, then, then we've got to do it with dad. And so they get him drunk. The oldest one goes and sleeps with him. She conceives. The youngest one, she, one of them was Moab. This was from an incestuous relationship. The Moabites were. They were off limits to the people of God. They were not a good influence. You ever had somebody in your family that was not a good influence? You, know, you didn't want your kids to be driven around by and kept by? Yeah, that's the Moabites. Among all the other ites and bites, I mean the Edomites were also kin to Israel. They were brothers to Israel. And yet off limits, that's not where the people of God were told to dwell. So Elimelech takes his family, for, for better or for worse, for more food. I mean, it's a reasonable thing to do, isn't it? No food at Foodland, you move to Ethiopia. Where there still doesn't sound good, but hey, it's better than here. It's a reasonable thing to do, but reasonable things can get you in trouble, can't they? When it seems reasonable, that doesn't mean it's God's will. It may seem reasonable to Jackson to lie to me and say, ah, no, you weren't here, man. You don't know what happened up here. We're up here in our own little world. You don't know how this money got out there. It was Baylor's fault no matter what he says. That sounds pretty reasonable. He can do it. He's, I trust Jackson. But reasonableness can get us in trouble sometimes if it's not God's will. And again, I could return to the question again. I ask you, is this God's will? Was it God's will that they... We're not told. Isn't that just like the Bible? <laughs> we say that the Bible has all answers, but we really do ourselves a disservice in saying that sometimes. It doesn't have some answers that we want. We're the child. He's the parent. He's the father, right? You don't tell your children everything and explain to them everything and freak them out. They wouldn't understand. You'd be talking to a wall. There are some things that God tells us you're on a need-to-know basis. Some of you guys live in that kind of world. Restrictions of information. And God says, you know what? I know. I'm not going to tell you. It's not your business. It's not for you to know. I'm going to give you what you need to know. And the answers that are found in the Bible are what we need to know, not always what we want to know. Have you noticed that yet? You hadn't read Job if you haven't. Job is a great example. You ever notice that at the beginning of Job, we know what's going on, Job never does? Nobody tells him, hey, Satan came to God and God allowed all this to... Nobody ever tips Job off to that. Job's left in the dark, the whole, the whole book. We're not. Job is. Need to know basis. We're not told if this was God's will. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. You say, well, what, 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 you know, cast your lots, Marshall. What do you think? Is it God's will or not? Yes and no. That's not a cheap answer. God's will is a very complicated thing. Just like my will toward my children. One day we're sitting there with Bo, my third son, and he falls off the edge of my chair and hits a magazine holder and busts his eye open right above, right in his, right in his uh, eyebrow. Blood's going everywhere. 
And so we, I, you know, we know it's going to be stitches. So we take him to the doctor to get stitches. We get there to the doctor. He's a little guy. I mean, he's one. One and a half, something like this. Almost, almost two years old. And we get there to the doctor and they say, okay, <laughs> he's going to have to have stitches. But we're going to have to shoot a needle in there. We're going to have to stitch it up. And if it's going to be a good job to where he's not going to have much of a scar, you're going to have to hold him down. And not you only, Dad, but everybody in this room is going to have to hold him down. And so here we are with this little fella that's, you know, yay long, on a table. He's already in pain. And now we're about to inflict more pain on him and essentially torture him for the next 10 to 15 minutes until we can get this thing done. And so, I tell him I love him. I don't even try to explain what's about to happen. And I just bear down on him. Literally lay on top of him so he doesn't move a muscle. And I'm holding his head as, as, as still as I can. You, you know, he's screaming, he's crying, he's kicking. Everybody's holding him. Everybody in the room's hurting for him. And we're torturing my son. At least according to him. We're holding him down against his will. We're doing really bad things to him, such as a needle coming into your eye. Such as stitches being looped around, pulled on. And he has no idea what's going on. He can't be told what's going on. He wouldn't understand it even if I told him. And so you say, well, I mean, was that your will to hurt your son? What kind of father are you? Well... Yes and no. Yes, it's my temporary will to hold down my son while other people hurt him. In order that he won't be in pain later. In order that you won't even be able to tell that he had stitches in his eye. Because we kept him so still. In order to heal him. Do you see what I'm saying? About God? Yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> Suffering can bring healing. It's only when we get to the bottom that we begin to look up. As long as life is on cruise control, we never check the gauges. We never know that we're out of gas. And some of us are really out of gas. Some of us may be in the Suffering itself right now. We may be the ones being held down. We may be the ones in pain. Naomi was. She lost her husband. And after that, she lost her two sons. There was a moment of hope when they married Moabite women because then they could have a progeny. Descendants. But then they too die. And apparently there are no children. Naomi knew about suffering. And the book of Ruth tells us that she suffered. She suffered so much that her name, which means pleasant, she says, don't even call me that. And notice who she blames for it. Yahweh. God has afflicted me with this pain. Now look, I know theologically, I've been in the discussions, I know how problematic it is to blame God for, for bad things happening. 
But the Bible often will say that the source ultimately comes back to God. When you trace the cord back far enough, the source is God. It's His world after all, isn't it? Not that He makes evil happen, nor is He the author of evil. He doesn't make us get into the wreck. We did that when we fell asleep. He didn't put us in prison. We did that by our choices. But the good news of the Gospel is even the worst things that happen to us, He can turn for good. Both thought that was the worst thing. I mean, I literally was in tears for my little dude. I love Bo. I really do. I often say he's he's the girl in our like he's I didn't get a girl, but he's he's my girl of the boys. I mean he's as pretty as one. His his hair and all that kind of everybody always comments on his hair. And here I am having to having to having to hold him down. And he doesn't know why. I can't tell him why. I've gone through suffering before. You've gone through suffering before. We've 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 hit the bottom. And we're wondering, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing these things to happen to us? And there's often no answer. Even in Job, God doesn't offer an answer. Not to Job's ultimate question, which is, why am I suffering? I didn't do anything wrong. God says, Job, did you, did you draw up the heavens? Did you cast the stars into the... Did you create, did you create physics? Did you create, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. Okay, then. That's it? That's it. Need to know basis. See, the reality is, God is enough. When you're suffering, God is enough. Not an answer, especially not cheap answers. Not a solution. That doesn't bring people back from the dead. It doesn't change the circumstance. The eye still needs to be fixed. No. Trust your Father. As, a, as I'm looking into the face of Bo, I'm saying, baby, this is going to be over in just a few minutes. That's what God is saying to us when we suffer. Weeping may last for the night. <laughs> but joy comes in the morning. It's true, no matter how dark it gets, God is still light. No matter how bad it hurts, He wants to heal us. If my brother, who's an orthopedic surgeon, always cared about your pain when he fixes your knee or your leg. If he, if he was concerned, oh, bro, I can't touch that. Oh, that hurts me. I mean, when he, he sends me pictures sometimes, I almost throw up. People's stuff hanging by, I don't even know what to call it. It doesn't even look like a knee anymore. If he comes in the room, oh, wow, ay, 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 you must be in pain. No, that's not how he approaches it. He says, okay, I can do this. I'm going to have to have a hammer. I'm going to have a saw. But I can fix this thing. Oh, I mean, Doc, is it going to hurt? Oh, you're dang right it's going to hurt. <laughs> I'm going to be hammering. Didn't you just hear me? 
But when you come out the other side, you'll be well. You say, I don't want the pain. Or you're going to experience pain in this life. It's either going to be healing pain or purposeless pain. One with a purpose, the other not. You're going to either become bitter at life, bitter at God, or it's going to become healing for you, surgical for you. Isn't He the great physician? The great orthopedist? When He gets out His hammer and saw, it may hurt, but joy comes on the other side. Healing on the other side. You see, for... Naomi, she was in the midst of suffering in chapter 1. It's not how the book ends, just to tip you off. There's great joy in Ruth, this book. And there's great joy in Ruth, this person. She's the hope here, isn't she? Notice, everybody's leaving her. And it's almost like Naomi, she, she, she starts on this journey. She's like, oh, I forgot. You girls need to go home. You don't even need to come with me. Everything I touch dies. We come to a place of food and we get death. No, you go back home. And then there's that one little verse in verse 14b. But Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. <laughs> When you're suffering, we need someone to cling to us. It's the best medicine at the moment. Not answers. There are no answers. Answers are cheap. You need a hug. You need someone clinging to you. Loving you. Being with you, crying with you, and rejoicing with you. That's what we need as a person. And Naomi gets a person in her darkest moment when death has come and destroyed her life and dashed her dreams. She gets a person. Isn't that what God always sends us? Not some cheap answer. He didn't just throw the Bible at us. Here, read this and you'll figure it all out. No. He shows up Himself. He shows up Himself. And here He sends Ruth. (laughs) Let me ask you something this morning. Have you left God's land, His promised land, for a foreign land? Did you take take a journey that you didn't really know what the outcome was going to be and you got hurt by that journey? We all take wrong paths. Do you feel like death, do you feel like suffering has destroyed your world? And that there is no hope. That there's only, if there is hope, just a little glimmer of hope. Do you feel like God Himself is against you, as Naomi did? Do you feel like there's a great famine in your life where you're not full? You're hungry for something. You don't know what. You're empty. You don't know why. Let me tell you the good news of this book. (laughs) And that is, you can return home. 
That's what Naomi did. She returned home. I mean, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do and go home. And even when death destroyed her world, someone clung to her. Someone grabbed her and wouldn't let go. And see, you know how it is. You, I just want to be left alone. No, we don't really. That's a defense mechanism. We need another helper that Jesus Himself sends who is the Holy Spirit to bring comfort and life and light and healing to us. That's what I need. I need that. And then also, He can fill your life. (laughs) Did you catch it? Bethlehem, the Lord visited it and she got word of that. And now she's going home. Reminds you of the prodigal son, doesn't it? He thinks of home. He thinks of home. God can fill your life this morning. He can set you on the right path and He can give you hope and real joy. Joy. Happiness. That's the good news this morning found in this little beautiful book called Ruth. Amen.